Good morning. I am Karen Crane, and this is my husband, Donald. And we get to read the scriptures. And I decided I needed to have my Bible here for this, because it's one of my favorite stories when I was a child. And if you're a um, VeggieTales fan, you'll know Rack Shack and Benny. This is a story of them. So, Daniel 3 in the New International Version. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O people, nations and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation and language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubbish, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And I'm going to be reading from Revelations 2, verses 8 to 11, from the New Living Translation. That's Revelations 2, verses 8 to 11. The message to the church of Smyrna. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead, but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy that's opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when you are facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Good morning. 
We're glad to be in God's presence to talk about his amazing faithfulness. We've sung about it already. Uh, I don't know if this thing has to move over here. I think someone else uh, might be able to do it better than I can without it toppling down the steps or something. So if someone wants to pull that thing over, they could. Um, yeah, so we're in Daniel 3, a story that's very familiar to all of us, or most of us, I would presume. Let me just find it. And thank you, uh, Don, and uh, I was going to say Elaine, but uh, Don and Karen. <laughs> Thanks, Don and Karen, for sharing uh, Scripture with us so beautifully. Lord, we thank you for this story, uh, a story that we've heard before, but a story that is rich in the details that we can pull from it that will help us in our lives, living our lives in faithfulness to you. We thank you, God, because you are good and kind. We bless your name. Amen. Now, uh, the image that is talked about in this passage was staggering in its dimensions, if you think about it, um, and its opulence, like gold. Now, we don't know if it was gold-plated or solid gold, but either way, cartloads of gold would have been coming in for the construction of this tower over the course of many months, I'm sure. Uh, the structure is just so impressive. Now, when we think of a tower today, we might think of a cell phone tower, right? Uh, the people in, this, in our story were asked to bow before the image. I'm wondering if we've already bowed before this uh, because of how tied we are to this cell phone technology, but I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar could have used some cell phone technology to get his message out, but he didn't need to, I guess, because... Heralds had been uh, running all over the, the province of Asia, or all the, all the provinces, getting the word out that this event was going to happen, and that when they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, they were to bow down to this image. Burning flames from a fiery furnace had been prepared for anyone foolish enough to defy the king's order. Now, this was translated into every language, so there was, it's not as if, oh, I didn't understand that because I actually don't speak that language. Uh, everyone in the kingdom would have understood. Having grown accustomed to the king's megalomania, the vast majority of the people probably said something like, look, he's on another ego trip. Let's just bow before this thing, get on with our lives. But it is noted by the Chaldeans that, the, by the way, the Chaldeans are, uh, the kings, are the king's astrologers, that three men failed to bow down to the image, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So um, it would have been quite obvious. I mean, you've got a sea of people with, uh, if you've ever seen pictures of uh, people in front of a mosque or outside a mosque, they're all bowing. Uh, foreheads to the ground, it would have been a similar image. You, you would not miss three people standing in the crowd not bowing down. You would not have missed that. And so Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are brought before the king. Now, he asks them, is, is it true that you have not worshipped this image that I have set up? And so he gives them another chance. The noises are going to happen. 
these three men will be asked to bow before the image again. Uh, all will be well if they do so. If they refuse, they will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, to me it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't seem to give them a chance to reply to his question. Have you ever noticed that? They don't say, well, yeah, that's true. There's no answer to the question, and it's because he knows the answer to the question. He knows that they have not bowed down to the image, and he knows why. You see, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have been hand-picked from all the Israelites as young men who showed promise and aptitude. They're the brightest of the bright. It's as if they've had a three-year course at Yale, Babylon campus. They are not incapable of understanding common edicts which have gone out to all the peoples. The king knows that their failure to bow down to the gold image has been deliberate. That's why he doesn't give them a chance to answer before he explains what will happen to them if they obstinately refuse to bow down to this image. The question he does ask them, however, has eternal consequences and I believe it's a question which each of us could, could answer as well. He says, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's a challenge and a question all, all in one. Another way of putting this might be, if you three refuse to bow down to this image, you are getting thrown into the furnace. End of story. No God on the planet can save you from that. So choose carefully. I believe that God loves challenges like this. I like to imagine God in heaven hearing that question and rising to the challenge. God was not biting his, his nails going, oh no, what's going to happen here? What, what's going on? God knew exactly what was happening. And it was an opportunity for him to show his power. To show that he is greater than any king or kingdom, past, present, or future. This is the God that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah know and worship. They have said yes to God already in the matter of the rich Babylonian food that they'd been especially provided with. They rejected that food in favor of a diet that was more in, in line with what they felt God would want them to eat. And God proved himself faithful in that instance. So why wouldn't he now? I love their answer to the king. We do not need to defend ourselves uh, before you in this matter. They don't need to defend themselves because the, their desire is to please God. And they really don't care about whether th their refusal to bow to the golden image will be pleasing to Nebuchadnezzar or not. They go on to say that if they are thrown into the fire, the God they serve is able to save them from the hand of the king, which is exactly the right response to the king's earlier question. But they go on to say that even if our God does not save us, we will not serve other gods or worship the image of gold that has been set up. Yes, they know that God can save them, even from a fire. But if he chooses not to, they still will not partake in false worship. They refuse to direct their worship to anything or anyone other than the God they trust, God Most High. Now this infuriates King Nebuchadnezzar. He's all the more furious because he knows that he himself was the one who appointed these three Hebrews to such high positions of authority. The optics of three such influential people, people that he himself had handpicked, disobeying his direct order, 
would have been a very, very unnerving for him, and, ang and obviously he was angry. The NR NRSV puts it this way. He, it says the king's face was distorted in rage. <laughs> there was no mistaking how the king was feeling at this point. Don't you love kids? You, you don't have to ask, how are you feeling? How do you really feel about that? The king was, was angry. And he had lost control. The king has allowed Satan to enter his soul at this point. Now, perhaps we ourselves have allowed Satan to change our attitude sometimes when we lash out at others. We usually lash out at the very ones we love that are closest to us. The Bible tells us that when God did not accept Cain's sacrifice back in Genesis, do you remember that story? Cain's face fell and he was angry. He ultimately was unable to heed God's warning to overmaster this sin. And the result was killing his brother. Anger rises to the surface so easily and is so quick to affect our relationships in a negative way. The reality of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's faithful, trusted service to the king was all quickly forgotten in that moment of intense anger. At that moment, losing those three men was less important to Nebuchadnezzar than losing face before the other advisors who had brought the matter to his attention. I think that it's a little bit like us. I know we don't often uh, maybe relate to King Nebuchadnezzar in this story, but there are times in our lives where we respond exactly like he does when things don't go our way. Anger has no place in our lives, and it can, in fact, destroy us. You remember the story of Saul. Another perfect example. In 1 Kings 19.9, it says that an evil spirit entered Saul, and he hurled his spear at David. This event happened very soon after he had promised his son Jonathan that he would not harm him. We would do well to guard ourselves against anger in our lives. We would do well to say no to those evil spirits that want to entrench us in negative patterns. And when we do give in to anger, may God help us to quickly repent of it and to make things right with the person or persons that we have affected in our anger. God's Holy Spirit is to control our entire being. The Bible tells us, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, back to our story. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are an example to us because they could have easily said, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but they could have said in their, in their minds, look, the king has asked us to do this. We know that that's just a piece of gold, a statue. There's nothing to that. We know it's not real. It's not a god. Well, let's just bow to this thing. In our hearts, we'll remember that it is God we worship, but outwardly, we can bow to this thing, make the king happy. All will be well. Could they not have said that? I think quite easily they could have said that. But they don't choose to do that. They choose to remain faithful to God even if it means 
that they'll be thrown into a furnace. Now, I don't know what, if you've ever thought of how you'd like to die, but being thrown into a fiery furnace is pretty, pretty down there on my list. Like, it's way down there. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. If you've ever even burned your hand on a hot element on a stove or, or uh, have, had steam burn, burn you as you're draining off the macaroni, which um, my wife does a better job, she actually puts the, puts a, pours it into a strainer and then puts, anyway, whatever. <laughs> She's a better cook than I, she has some methods, right? But burning, uh, we all know that sensation of being burned. Now imagine just being thrown into a furnace like that. But you know, it's not about us. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew that it wasn't about them. Anne Graham Lotz, in her book, Just Give Me Jesus, puts it this way. Our, ult our ultimate aim in life is not to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, or problem-free. Our ultimate aim is to give God glory, bring glory to God. I'll read that again. Our ultimate aim in life is not to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, or problem-free. Our ultimate aim in life is to bring glory to God. Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. It is so true. This is very reminiscent of the attitude that the early Christians had in the book of Acts. You remember the story of, uh, of Peter and John. They had just healed a man who had been lame from birth, and they had been... Uh, raked over the coals by the Sanhedrin, the, the lawmakers of the day. They had been told in no uncertain terms not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But you know, when they recounted this to the, uh, the believers, I want to read what the believers prayed for. And it, it's, it's very stark in the reality of what they prayed for in the sense that Safety is not on the list whatsoever here. In Acts 4, 29 and 30, the believers pray this way. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The very name that they had been warned not to speak or teach in is the name they call upon for boldness and strength. Their allegiance is not to any religious authority, cultural norm, political entity. Their allegiance is to God alone, and they want to please Him. There is a lesson for us here, too. Anytime that nationalistic pride, civil responsibility, involves denying Christ, our course of action should be clear. We, like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, must choose to honor, worship, and obey God and God only. Now, the church in China has had to flesh this out in very practical terms. In state-recognized churches, all aspects of the church service must be vetted by the Communist Party. Scripture that is deemed inappropriate for communist ideology must be eliminated and expunged from the record. For many believers, this is not acceptable, and they're forced to go underground. For them, a watered-down gospel is no gospel at all. 
Their primary allegiance is to God, and they are prepared to face the consequences of meeting, even if it's illegal. Here in Canada, we, we have tremendous freedom to share our faith with others. But that's today. If that should ever change, our posture has to be clear. We need to declare the wonderful deeds of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, regardless of the consequences. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the... You know this. Amen. The word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. They overcame. And we too can overcome. Imagine putting your own name in there. Eileen overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony. Kathy overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony. Butch overcame by the, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of Butch's testimony. That's how we overcome people. And persecution might be coming. It might be on the horizon closer than we think. But our, our posture has to be to not compromise on, on sharing what Jesus has done for us, whatever that means, whatever that means. Now, let's get back to our story. So here we have King Nebuchadnezzar. In his anger, he's got those furnaces heated up real good. In fact, seven times. Now, seven times seems kind of random, but it's pretty hot. Whatever would have killed a man has been cranked up seven times more. Even the men that were throwing the, the guys into the... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're being thrown in. Even the men that were throwing them into the furnace were killed by the scorching flames. Now, it's interesting that uh, I noticed that when Karen was reading the scripture, it mentioned trousers, hats, all these items of clothing, and you're going, what, what, what's the point of listing all of these? But we'll get to that. There's something coming. So these men are bound and tossed into the inferno. And the fire is so hot that, yeah, like I said, these guys that are have the unfortunate job of throwing them in get killed themselves. But God is bigger than an egomaniacal king. He's bigger than the physical power of fire. And he's able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, of course, shows up in a big way, and we know the story. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah we're joined in the furnace by a fourth man. And now some people have speculated that that fourth man may have been none other than Jesus himself. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some have speculated, well, maybe that was Michael, the archangel. It doesn't matter who it was. The fact is, there was a fourth man, and they're all walking around in there, just chatting it up, enjoying the coolness of the furnace. You know? Talk about uh, central heating and air conditioning. Like, these guys were just, none of them were, were damaged or harmed. And I think the, the emphasis here for us is that fourth man. That fourth man, regardless of who it is, we have to remember that we are not alone in that furnace. We are not alone in our afflictions, people. We are not alone. Kirsty said she'd had a rough week. Yeah, 
we have weeks like that where we're, we're thinking, what is happening? Has God left us? Has God even abandoned us? God can never, never, never leave us. Never. It's impossible for God to leave us. Even when we're in the middle of that fire, he's there with us. He's there in the middle of those trials. And so King Nebuchadnezzar does a double take and says, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three guys in there? Yes, yes, in fact, we did. Well, what's with the fourth guy? Where did he come from? And then he goes close to the door of the furnace, and he says, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah. No, he doesn't. He calls them by their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Is it really true that you're not harmed? Come on out. Come on out of there. They were thrown in there, bound hand and foot. Bound hand and foot, they were thrown in. They walked out. They walked out of that fire. And so the king, obviously mystified, stupefied, unable to understand what has just happened, had seen a powerful display of what God is capable of doing. The king should never have said, what God can save you from that? Because God most high, that's the one that can do it. He's the one that can save us, and he does in this case. Now, here's the thing that's a little maybe puzzling, disturbing. I'm not sure what the word is. But oftentimes, God chooses not to, do, to deliver us out of the fire. What, what about that? We read in Hebrews that uh, there were believers who were persecuted to the point of death, even being sawn in two, again, that's way down on my list of ways that I want to die, being sawn in two is not going to be comfortable. But God did not intervene in that situation. He, did, he chose not to at that point. Countless people through history have died in excruciating and difficult ways. But I think that image of that fourth man should come to mind over and over again in our minds, that even in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that tribulation, God has not left us, and he is always with us in those trials. Now, they get out of the fire, they walk out, King Nebuchadnezzar looks them up and down. There's not an eyebrow of their hair is scorched. I remember one time in Mali, I was lighting uh, the pilot light on the oven for Rita Mae, and uh, there must have been a buildup of gas in there. Stuck the match in, <laughs> just this massive force of fire came at me, and uh, my hair didn't catch on fire, but I had no eyebrows. I looked really, really funny for a few days. And uh, I, fortunately, I wasn't hurt more than that. But um, Rita Mae and I also just got back from a camping trip. And uh, I can tell you from uh, being up close and personal with a fire, trying to get it going with wet wood, that uh, my clothes smelled of fire. I think if I go home now, there's one jacket that didn't get tossed in the wash. It still smells of fire. That's two days ago. 
there was no smell of fire on these dudes. Not any kind of a smell of fire. How do you explain that? Only God could do that. Only God could flip that script. Take what was supposed to be harmful and evil and turn it into a way to glorify himself. Didn't I say before, it's not about us. It's about God getting the glory. And certainly God got the glory that day. Nebuchadnezzar says that anybody who badmouths the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his property will be seized. So, Don, thank you for reading the, the verses about the church in Smyrna. And that reminds us too that the second death has no effect on those who are faithful to God. Now, what is the second death? The second death is an obstinate refusal to give glory to God and to honor him as King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives. It's that student that refuses to hand in anything. <laughs> you could pass the class if you just hand this in. Not going to do it. It's like they have a, a mission to fail. They've been given chance after chance after chance. It's that kind of obstinate refusal that I will not bow down to this God. I will not bow down to the God Most High. I will not say that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I will not, ever. And so those people who refuse to bow down and acknowledge Jesus as Lord experience the second death. Because yes, they die physically, and now they're going to be eternally separated from God. Now that's a truth. We don't maybe hear that enough and get reminded of, of that enough, that those people that refuse, obstinately refuse to give their lives to Jesus are, are choosing eternal separation from their God. Now, in Quebec, Rita May and I were... Uh, getting ready to go to Mali, Africa, learning French in Quebec for a year. And uh, we were under-supported. We only had about 80% of our support at that point. We ate a lot of craft dinner and wieners. Uh, we just made it from one check to the next, hoping and hoping that we'd be able to pay our rent. And things were not easy. And I remember one day, uh, a verse just kind of jumped out at me in French. And the verse was, Vous aurez des tribulations dans ce monde, mais prenez courage car j'ai vaincu le monde. In English, that renders, You will have tribulation in this world, but take courage. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. So, like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we must be prepared to say to the taunts of the evil one, even if God chooses to allow us to walk through pain and suffering, we will remain faithful to him. We will not bow down to any foreign gods. 
Now, the, the foreign god that, or the uh, image of this god, we don't know exactly what this was all about, this image. But it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And he called on, on his astrologers, his wise men, to interpret this dream. They came before him and he said, yeah, guys, I had a dream. I want you to interpret it. Okay, tell us the dream. No, but you don't understand. I, I can't remember the dream. That's your job. You tell me what the dream was. And they're like, uh, I, uh, that's a, no, that's not going to happen. We, just give us the gist of the dream. Maybe we can talk about that. No, 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 no. You guys tell me the dream or you're going to be killed. And so Daniel hears about this. And Daniel is able to, to tell him what this dream was. And in the dream was this statue. And the head was gold. And then other parts of it were, uh, were bronze. I think there was clay down to the feet. And so you have to wonder if that might have been in the back of Nebuchadnezzar's mind as he made this huge gold statue. In other words, this gold statue, that's all gold. That's me. Mine is the kingdom. Mine is the glory. Mine is the power. That's me. And so he wanted people to, re to be reminded that this was the image of his rule, his kingdom. His kingdom would be never-ending. That was really what he was saying by that statue. And so God has other things in mind. And uh, it's interesting, too, as I pondered on this, that Nebuchadnezzar really, yes, he acknowledges that only God could do that, only the Most High God could do that, but he never makes it personal. He never invites that God to be his God. It's always the God of Hananiah, Azariah, and uh, Mishael. It's never, this is the God now that I have chosen. And because, his, because he persists in that pride, later, later on in passages in Daniel, we find him grazing with the cattle. Um, talk about a vegan diet like that. <laughs> That's getting pretty like grass, a grass diet. How do you like to do that? But it's only after that that he, he finally realizes that God, God, this God could actually be his God. And so I think that's like us many times. God shows up in big and marvelous ways in our lives and we just say, oh, okay, good. Yeah, that's nice. We don't acknowledge him as King of kings and Lord of lords in so many practical ways that, that we could if we, uh, if we just took the time to ponder what he has actually done in our lives. I want to share a personal example of, of an idol. Uh, now, idols in our own lives here in the 21st century, I guess it's difficult maybe to, uh, to really identify. They're insidious. They're, they creep into our lives without our even knowing. Uh, I like to write, and I like to uh, post my writing on a blog spot and throw that onto Facebook. And, and then uh, after, I usually write in the evenings, and then the next morning I'm like, oh, okay, how many people have uh, read this? How many people have liked this? And I'm like, wait a minute, only five people like that? I, th I thought this was actually pretty good. You know, what's going on here? Why aren't people reading this? And I realized God had to uh, convict me of something, that am I writing to be helpful to other people? 
am I writing to encourage other people? Or am I writing to see how many likes I can get on Facebook? Pictures can be the same way. How come no one's liking my picture? What's up with that? I, I thought that was a really good picture. Only five people looked at it. Malcolm Muggeridge, in his 1977 book, Christ and the Media, said that the fourth temptation of, of Christ may well have been the devil granting Jesus five minutes of primetime TV to get his message out. And Jesus would have said no. Five minutes of primetime TV, your message will go out to all peoples. All people will hear the message that you have. And Malcolm Muggeridge, in his opinion, thinks that Jesus would have said, uh-uh, that's not my way. I'm not doing that. Because I think Malcolm Muggeridge, in 1977, foresaw the dangers of media. The internet and the social media that, that we spend so much time on. It's, it's ridiculous. I have to, uh, I'm, I'm talking to about myself too now. Spend way too much time on, you know, trivial, stupid stuff. Like, what? who cares if a cat is having a bad day? I, I, I really don't need to spend that much time on this stuff, right? So these can become idols in our lives. For King Nebuchadnezzar, this gold idol was a symbol of his own pride. And sometimes that can be our idol. The Bible says that God humbles the proud. And he did, he did exactly that with Nebuchadnezzar. So these are valid questions that we need to think about. And I want, I want to encourage you throughout the week, maybe even this morning, in a, in a few minutes here, Take a few minutes to really ponder and think, oh, is, am I nursing an idol here? Am I um, feeding an idol in my life? And is it growing to the point where it's destroying my relationship with God? What are the things that are taking away time with my Lord? What are the things that are taking away my, my passion for Jesus, for all those wonderful deeds that I could talk about to, to my neighbors and friends, the things that he has done for us. What are those things? And I want you to think about that as the worship team comes up. And think about what, what are the possible things that, that you need to confess and talk about, maybe with someone else, and say, would you, pray, would you join me in being a, a prayer partner with me? I... I I'm struggling with this area in my life and I want someone else to walk alongside me and say, how are things going in that regard? Can you imagine the power that that would unleash in this church if we each had someone that could just, I'm going to hold your hand, I'm going to walk with you. So, let's, uh, let's sing uh, in worship to our God. I'm just going to pray before we do that. Lord, we thank you that in all of these things, you are, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He alone is our companion and our friend. He alone is worthy of worship. It's not about us. It's all about you. Because we want to give you glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.